0: It's Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. Listeners to Fangraphs Audio, readers of Fangraphs the site, will be familiar with the excellent Q&A series that David Lorela contributes to the site. Occasionally, Lorela will come across audio uh, that makes more sense as audio, uh, as opposed to being transcribed and, and uh, rendered in print form or electronic print form. And this episode of Fangraphs Audio represents just such a case. Uh, in a little bit, we'll have audio from Brian Anderson, uh, the current color man uh, in, for the Rays and former pitcher for the Indians. Um, but in the meantime, we also have David Lorla on the line directly from the bowels of Fenway Park. David, are you there? Carson, I am here. I'm at Fenway Park. Are you in the bowels well, of
1: Fenway Park? No, I was in the balls earlier. I am in the back of the press box right now. The 100th anniversary game is starting up uh, You know, in a couple of hours. It's This is a great place to be, Carson.
0: Right. So, so you are actually um, you're at Fenway Park. um, Just uh, I think not too many hours away from the beginning of the first Red Sox-Yankees series of the year at the stadium.
1: I am, and the funny thing, Carson, is there are a lot of people here, of course, and most of them aren't really focused on Red Sox-Yankees or the Red Sox poor start. It's really the history thing. There are apparently a couple of hundred former Red Sox players here. I've not seen any of them yet, but I know they're going to be honored before the game, and it's it's I mean it's festive here. We have uh, the Boston Pops. It's this is baseball is almost secondary today, if that is believable in, in Boston.
0: Now you spend um, quite a bit of time there at Fenway, and um, we get, we read your interviews uh, on the site, and you get a lot of guys kind of coming through there. I'm curious just to sort of. I guess between what you're mentioning with the hundredth year anniversary and also the Red Sox Yankees, I'm curious as to just what the differences are for you there um, with all these sort of festivities going on relative to just a, like a normal game against the you know the Blue Jays.
1: Well, work-wise, Carson, I think the big difference is I'm often doing long-form interviews. Here, there are I can't begin to tell you how many reporters are in each clubhouse this morning. Um, I went down and got a number of quotes above Fenway Park from members of of the Yankees, a few from Red Sox players, and um, I think FanGraphs readers will get a, a touch of that. I'll write something. I talked to, you know, the cheaters and the Phil, Phil Hugheses and the Curtis Grandersons, just to see what it's like to be at, at Fenway Park. And I got a few interesting as well as uh, predictable uh, answers from these gentlemen.
0: Yeah. I, on that note, I know that um, one thing I enjoy about your interviews, like for example, just the one um, that ran today about Mitch Moreland, is you're you typically able seem to get beyond um, the normal sort of rote answers that players provide. And um, what I've sort of noticed is that you're able to kind of ask them questions that they're interested in answering. So, like Mitch Moreland talking about uh, his career as a as a pitcher or his would be career as a pitcher. Um, I'm curious what what sort of uh, questions you've been asking or strategies you've been employing to get beyond the sort of road answers about something like Fenway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, t- I asked the people what I think they're interested in, t- in talking about. It's really no more complicated than that. The Brian Anderson interview that we're going to hear, I was chatting with Brian about uh, his career and various aspects, and he told me a story which is included in the interview. Uh, one that he said he has never really spoken before, outside of mentioning to a few friends that involves he growing up in Indians fans thus making the fact that he pitched in the ninety seven series even that more remarkable. But that it's all driven by the the interview E and not the interviewer is really all I can tell you about my approach.
0: Right. And and so um, we are about to hear that that story and, and as I mentioned at the beginning, this is one of those cases where I, I, I'm guessing perhaps due to um, just his nature as a as a gentleman and also um, um, Beyond that, the fact that he's now uh, an active um, play-by-play or, or color man for the Tampa Bay Rays, to hear Brian Anderson speak about his experience I think really plays nicely as audio as opposed to just seeing on the page. I'm curious as to what um, you know, how, how you got to that point in the conversation and what your sort of sense was of him telling that story. Well, I
1: think, Carson, the important thing is with what Brian does for a living, he puts us both to shame. In audio, he certainly puts me to shame. I don't want to diss Carson
0: Sestillo. Oh, you can diss away. It's all right. I'm a target.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Brian is uh, Brian's a great storyteller. He he talks on the uh, on the air for a living, and uh, people will enjoy the story. And I think Indians fans, especially, will enjoy that you know, we're we're talking Indians history because this is a team much like the Red Sox that has been around forever. The Indians have not won a lot of World Series. I believe it was in 1948 in the Bob Feller, Lou Boudreau, Larry Toby days, I think was the last one. Um, they certainly almost did win in 97, um, which ironically was not one of the best teams, in my opinion, that the, Yanke- that the Indians had for, for so many years. The 95 team, uh, strike year, I think went 100 and, oh, maybe 44, 45 losses. Yeah, and, they had some uh, in 90,
0: uh, ridiculous offenses in particular during those years.
1: Oh, they, they absolutely did. And in 97, when they lost tragically to the Marlins, they still had Jim Comey and Manny Ramirez. And, oh, I believe David Justice was in the middle of that lineup. So baseball was big in Cleveland. It's, the team simply is not winning yet. Um, I think that it's going to change fairly soon with all of their young talent and uh, a good manager.
0: All right. Well, hey, David, I just want to thank you from, uh, for giving us some time from Fenway Park and uh, for giving us this great audio with Brian Anderson.
1: No, fantastic, Carson. And uh, the listeners may be interested to know that we may be doing more of these in the future. I think we're going to try to get more stuff from the clubhouses with players, coaches, and uh, maybe a broadcaster here and there.
0: That's right. The listener better be interested in that. That's what I hope so, Carson. <laughs> okay. All right. That's David Laurel. I'm Carson Sestouli. And here's less interview, a recent interview with Brian Anderson regarding his experience in the 1997 World Series as a Cleveland Indians pitcher. My guest is Brian Anderson,
1: Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster and former Cleveland Indian. Brian, 1997. I understand you have a pretty good story about that World Series.
2: Well, yeah. What you know, what was funny was I grew up um, about 45 miles east of Cleveland, so I grew up uh, Indians fan, Browns fan. Um, that's just that's what you did when you, you grew up in that part of the country. So here I am, fast forward all these years, 1997. I got a chance, uh, you know, to to play for the Cleveland Indians, and you know, I got added to the playoff roster after the first round when the when the Indians defeated the Yankees and got to pitch in the. A- ALCS and get the the win in Game Six uh, of the ALCS. I was coming out of the bullpen and through a scoreless uh, tenth inning. Tony Fernandez hits the home run in the eleventh, and now you know we we head to the World Series. Um, and what was funny was years ago, being a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, that was the only you know team in cleveland that was uh, really any good cavs were okay at that time indians not so much uh, but the browns were very good and back to back years they get beat by the broncos uh and the afc championship game and you know of course at that time i'm 13 14 years old um very emotional about the browns loss and uh, i remember in between sobs and that's right i said sobs telling my mother uh at that time that I will be on the first Cleveland team to win a championship for the city. And I rem- I was so determined. And I was, At that time, like I said, I was 13 or 14 years old. But I made that statement. I absolutely meant it. I was upset, the whole thing. Well, all of a sudden, here we are, Game 7, 1997, and we're sitting at brunch on Sunday morning getting ready. You know, that night, that's, the, that's it, Game 7. And I'm looking, I'm sitting across from my parents at the uh, – at the table and I said mom do you remember 11 12 years ago I said I'm going to be on the t- and we, and tonight here we are we're less than 24 hours a day by the time that this day ends this could absolutely you know be the case and um it just you know even to this day when I tell that story I get goosebumps cuz I can remember it like it was yesterday because of the prior statement, and then all of a sudden, here it is, come true. Not, I mean, and I look back and I say, 13, 14 years old, what are the chances I'm even going to get a chance to play in the big leagues? I'm not even in high school yet. And I, not only do I get a chance to play in the big leagues, but now here I'm playing for Cleveland, and here we are in the World Series, and we're at a Game 7, one more win, and here you go. And, um... And to top it off, Brian, you actually appeared in that game. I did. I, I, I came in that ball game. Um, you know, it's funny when I went to the bullpen for the Baltimore ALCS series, you know, Mike Hargrove said, be ready for anything. Be ready from the first pitch of the game. Well, by the time that series was over, you know, like I said in game six, I'm in a scoreless game in the 10th inning to start the inning. I became a back end of the bullpen guy where I was throwing with Macher, Mike Jackson, and Jose Mesa. It was crazy. And so all of a sudden, that game, two outs in the eighth inning, we got a two 2 1 lead, and uh, Darren Dalton's up. Mike Jackson had been brought in the game. He got, the, you know, he he threw the ball, threw the ball well, but then that, that was the matchup. Mike Jackson, Darren Dalton. And I remember Mike Hargrove saying, My thought was, if I bring in Brian Anderson, Jim Leland's going to pinch hit Jeff Conine, because they needed to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark at that point. You know, two outs, nobody on. Going to be tough to put an inning together. You got some power there. Dalton Jackson, Conine. Anderson and Mike Hargrove brought me in with two outs in the bottom of the eighth. And sure enough, Jim Leland sent Jeff Conine to the plate. And, um, you know, that was just a battle of fastball changeup, fastball changeup, well-located fastball changeup, just moving, trying to change speeds and keep him off balance. And eventually I got him to hit a foul uh, pop-up down the left field line to the left fielder and and get out of that inning. Um, Yeah, and then go up. When I got pinch hit for, I knew I was coming out in the ninth anyway, um but I was pinch hit for so then it was official, and i my routine was take my spikes off and get my turf shoes on and watch the rest of the game and what I saw was, was it was very very sad it was it you know it hurt for a lot of people, it hurt for the city, it hurt the players I and mean, anytime you take a lead into game seven ninth inning um to to be world champions that's going to kill you as a player, but it was like I was It it was really bad for me because it was hurtful as a player knowing you were that close to being a world champion. But then also being a fan of the team and knowing the mindset of the city was just devastating for me. And it's still devastating to the city, you know, as we speak. I, I did Indians Fantasy Camp this year. And we had an Indians roundtable that they put on the Indians TV station, and it was uh, Chad OJ, Mike Hargrove, uh, myself, and Mike Jackson. And even now, it's, it's still tough for everybody you know, to talk about and uh, tough for the city. I hear that all the time because I spend my winters in Cleveland, and people still lament that 97 series, and um, so do I.
1: Uh, Once again, I'm here with Brian Anderson. Have you ever dreamt about, well, what if I have stayed in the game, I would have closed that game out to win this?
2: Listen, this is what's funny about Cleveland fans and having been from up there. These people, I come across more people that were like, if Hargrove just would have left you in the game, we would have had a ring. I mean, going on and on and on. Do I feel that way? I absolutely do. However, Jose Macy was your closer. He was your closer all year long. You got a 2-1 to lead in the ninth inning. Mike Hargrove is never going to leave me in that game. I don't care how well I'm throwing the ball. I mean, what question would he have to answer if I go out there and screw it up? I mean, you get hung for something like that, where if you bring in your closer who was effective all year long and saved a lot of big games... Well, if he doesn't get it done, he doesn't get it done. But, you know, you dance with the lady that you brought, and that's exactly what he was going to do. So I knew that when I got out of that eighth inning, there was no chance of me seeing the field uh, in the ninth. Um, But all the while, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, he does send me back out there. I'm going to finish this off. But you knew it wasn't going to happen.
1: Brian Anderson, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me.